Well, we've been having a mini-series on the church, particularly looking at uh, recently some purposes of the church. Remember, there's three purposes of the church you find in Scripture. There is ministry to God, ministry to the world, which we looked at last week. Today we're going to look at the third one, the third purpose of the church, ministry to each other, ministry to the church itself, the believers, the Christians that make up the church. So today I want to address how do we do that? What is the Holy Spirit in particular given to the church to help us in this ministry, this God-given ministry to each other? He's given us spiritual gifts. Every believer has a spiritual gift, at least one. So let's talk about using these spiritual gifts to serve other Christians. Now, have you ever heard this, this statement here? True or false? You answer this in your own mind, not out loud, but in your mind. What you don't know won't hurt you. Just think, how do you answer that question? What you don't know won't hurt you. Well, that can be true in some cases. Ignorance can be bliss some ways, but it is not true when it comes to this subject today, to the subject of spiritual gifts. Certainly not true. In fact, we have a Holy Spirit-inspired verse here that clearly points that out. And I want you to notice, in fact, the very first verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Look what it says in regard to dealing with spiritual gifts. The Bible says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So clearly, clearly according to that verse, the Holy Spirit is telling us that what we don't know about spiritual gifts will actually hurt us. Ignorance about spiritual gifts is actually harmful to our church. It's harmful to, to the body of Christ as a whole, and it's going to be harmful to you as an individual Christian. So, I have a series of questions I'm going to ask and answer from the text today in regard to spiritual gifts. Let's start with this one. What are spiritual gifts? We, we need to kind of define these, look at them a little deeper here so we know what we're talking about. So, in this text here in 1 Corinthians 12, it, it gives us the, the big picture of the nature of spiritual gifts. So, let's, let's read starting in verse 1. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 1 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. No one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So in those seven verses there, the Holy Spirit's giving us five different Greek words talking about spiritual gifts. So what I want to do is just point them out and talk about them for a moment. Just briefly explain 
what the Holy Spirit's trying to do here. He's trying to help us understand spiritual gifts better. What kinds of gifts have believers been given by the Holy Spirit? Well, number one, verse one, gives us uh, this, this terminology of spiritual gifts. Pneumaticon is the Greek word. Uh, this word comes from that, the, the, the Greek word pneuma, which means spirit. It's often used to the Holy Spirit. In fact, uh, if, you, if you ever read a systematic theology book, you'll often have pneumatology in the systematic theology book, referring to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, coming from that word pneuma for spirits. And so that, that, that term there, spiritual gifts, it's a, it's a word that tells us that spiritual gifts cannot be directly equated with your natural abilities that you have possessed from birth. Now, I also believe your natural abilities come from God, but you need to distinguish those natural abilities from your spiritual gifts. These spiritual abilities were given to us not at your physical birth, but at your second birth, your conversion, your spiritual birth. And let me just give you an example of how that might look. For example, uh, you might be a teacher, an, an educator working in a school, and you may have a, a, a God-given ability to be an excellent educator of children. But that doesn't mean you have the ability to exposit Scripture. Okay? You, you may not have this, this teaching ability that Scripture is talking about. You, you might be able to read Scripture, but you may not be able to preach it. Right? So it's not the same thing, is what I'm trying to say. So this is talking about these, these spiritual abilities given to you at your conversion. The second Greek word here is in verse 4. It's the word gifts. Charismaton, it's a word that comes from a Greek word charis, uh, means grace. Uh, what is the point I'm trying to make here is this, that these gifts come to us entirely through the undeserved favor of God. That's what grace is. It's never a reward for your sincerity. Uh, it, it doesn't come as a result of efforts at being godly. It's grace. It's unmerited, undeserved. So God wants us to understand, just by some of these words here, like this word grace, in verse 4, we receive our spiritual abilities in spite of what you and I have done. It's not because of what you have done. Okay? To illustrate that, uh, this is the church of Corinth, the Holy Spirit's writing to here, and they had received an abundance of spiritual gifts, despite when you read like chapter 3, for example, we see they were filled with disharmony, disunity, uh, a lot of discord there in their group, in this church. Uh, there was sin in chapter 5. Chapter 15, there's false doctrine that the Apostle Paul had to deal with. They had all kinds of problems. Those are just some of them. But despite all that, they had... An abundance of spiritual gifts. <laughs> they didn't deserve that. They had a lot of problems. So why did they have these spiritual gifts? It's because the Holy Spirit gave them to them. He was gracious in giving them. Number three, 
Verse 5 gives us another word. You notice the word service. Service in verse 5. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Diakonion is the word. The word denotes the idea of service. That's why it's translated that way. It's also used in the New Testament to refer to people in the church who fulfill the role of deacon. Uh, You might hear deacon sounds kind of similar to the Greek word. It's an English transliteration of the Greek word. The word tells us the purpose of these spiritual gifts. You say, well, okay, what's the purpose? Well, it tells us those spiritual gifts are given to us by the Holy Spirit so that we might serve others. We might serve others. That's the purpose. And number four, you'll see the word in verse six, activities, energimaton. Our English word energy comes from that Greek word. Again, you say, well, what's the point in all of that? Well, it's emphasizing the fact that the power of God, this energy of God, is at work in you, through you, as the Holy Spirit is is giving you these gifts to be exercised in the church. God's power is flowing through you. Energy. Energy maton. And by the way, the effectiveness of our gifts is not something that we can ultimately control. Uh, think of yourself as just a, a, a conduit, a line, right? The, the power line can't really necessarily control the energy flowing through it. It's just a conduit. It's just sitting there letting the energy flow through it. That's all it's doing. You're, you're the same way. You're, you're like the line letting the energy flow through it. So the effectiveness of our gifts is not something you can ultimately control. You you, you can't turn them off and on like you might do with a light bulb. And and God's the one here clearly showing us, hey, I'm sovereignly in control here. I'm dictating this. It is my divine energy that is at work within you. And so this should put us in our place. (laughs) Uh, Unlike some of the, uh, the Corinthians who were proud about their spiritual gifts. They should put us in our place. It should humble us. You're only a conduit. You're just the line letting the energy flow through. The fifth and last one is in verse 7. It is the word manifestation, a phanerosis. You notice there in verse 7, Paul here is referring to spiritual gifts as a manifestation. But notice it's a manifestation of a person. Notice it's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And that word there, uh, this word answers the question of why. Why do we have these spiritual gifts? Well, they're given so that God's character, His power, His nature and attributes might be revealed to our church. It might be revealed to the world. When those gifts are being used, you're displaying God. Hopefully, that's your goal in all that. Hopefully, you're, you're not, you, have, you don't have a wrong motive. Hopefully, you're not thinking, hey, people look at me, gaze at me in wonder of my ability. No, it's not my ability anyway. The Spirit working through me. We want people to praise God for His grace and glory. And in the first chapter, Paul, in fact, in fact he says, uh, I think I put this up here. He says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, there's too much boasting in themselves going on in the 
church at Corinth. They're proud about their abilities, proud about other things. No, we're to boast in the Lord. So the question is, what are spiritual gifts? I hope those, those five Greek words are helpful to you. Those five English words are, are, hope, are helpful, I hope. And they're really answering that question of what are the spiritual gifts. Here they are, my friends. They are spiritual abilities given to us by God the Holy Spirit. Spiritual abilities given to you by God the Holy Spirit. That's what spiritual gifts are. So, here's your second question. Then, who gives the spiritual gifts? Who gives the spiritual gifts? Well, look at verse 8. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8. I want you to notice how often the Holy Spirit comes up. Just, just look for the Holy Spirit here, okay? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8 says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another of prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. How many times did you count Spirit? A lot, right? Clearly, the, the text is repeating the Holy Spirit over and over, showing us that God the Father has provided our church and the church with gifts through the Holy Spirit for a purpose. It is an exhibition of His sovereignty and grace. And the point is driven home through the, the rest of the chapter. If you read on, let me encourage you to do so today at some point. You'll, you'll just see how that is flowing through the, through the church. And so if you understand that any ability that, that, that comes from a gracious God, if you, if you recognize that, and that, that anything good you accomplish then happens through His power alone, then you're going to be less likely to be proud and arrogant of your service to each other. But if you don't recognize that it's the Spirit working through you and giving that to you, then you, you might tend to think, well, I'm awesome. <laughs> You'd be proud of your awesomeness and how, how good you are at whatever you do. But we should be less condescending. We, we should be less critical toward others because it's not us anyway, is it? God's unmerited favor toward us. And so hopefully we can be less condescending, less critical toward others who have a, a different gift in particular from ours. See, the Holy Spirit hasn't given individual Christians all the spiritual gifts. See, you need to remember that God Himself has organized this, this glorious body according to His perfect plan. Not every Christian has all the spiritual gifts. Therefore, you have one or maybe some more. And so your activity in the body will make up the body. That's the way it's designed to be. So who gives the spiritual gifts? Clearly God does. God is the one doing this work, and then he enables us 
to even use those within his body. A third question to consider is this, to whom have spiritual gifts been given? Whom ha- to whom have they been given? Is it all people? Do unbelievers have these spiritual gifts? Or is it only Christians? Well, to answer that statement, I want to clearly, I mean, uh, to me, the Holy Spirit empowered, uh, if you look at verse 11 here, notice all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit of portions to each one individually as He wills. The Holy Spirit's working in believers here. But let me, let me show you another one. Turn over to Ephesians. Ephesians, another passage that talks about spiritual gifts. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, verse 7 in particular. Look at verse 7. It says, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. What's the context of that verse? Writing to a church. Church is made of believers. So grace, this grace, these spiritual gifts given to each one in the church, these believers, these Christians. So what's the answer then? Well, all true believers have received spiritual gifts from God. All believers have. So there is not one Christian in this world who doesn't have some spiritual ability to serve God's people in the church. You all if you're a Christian, you have some ability to do that. And so it, it doesn't matter if you're old or young. It doesn't matter if you're educated or uneducated, if you are rich or poor or strong or weak or a new believer or a mature believer. You have at least one spiritual gift. And in fact, you very likely have more than one. And so many believers don't know what their spiritual gifts are, and so they don't really know how to serve in Christ's church. And But that, that doesn't change the fact that they have them. Kind of like, you know, it's kind of like having a light and putting it under a bushel like Jesus talks about. And that's a disaster. It's a disaster. So please listen carefully. I want to make some amazing statements here that uh, I hope are a help to you. So listen closely here. Here's, here's the first one. The fact that every Christian has been gifted by God means that every member of our church is indispensable in God's plan. Now, these are just some implications coming from Corinthians and Ephesians. So, my friend, you are indispensable. In other words, in this body, particularly when you read Corinthians, you find there's, they've got this body imagery going on here. Referring to the church. And so every individual part in that body is important. Even the the so-called lesser parts, the unseen parts. They're all important within the body. Here's another one to think about. Every gift is important. The gift the Holy Spirit has given to you is important. I'll give you some examples that might explain that. Uh, these aren't spiritual gifts, I don't think. But uh, if you've ever done any sewing or cooking or, or, or something like that, you, you know how important it is to measure. Very important to measure when you're sewing, you're making a dress or some pants, or if you're 
if you're baking a cake or something, very important to measure. A handmade dress produced by a seamstress who doesn't take the time to measure out the various pieces of cloth before she tries to sew them together uh, is uh, looking for disaster, isn't she? Those various segments of cloth need to be measured so they all line up. Paul understood that. He was he made tents. You want to make sure they're all... He, he, he talks about cutting it straight in regard to preaching the Word. Paul understood that. You try to sew various pieces of a tent together and they're not straight, it's just going to be a mess. And it's the same if you're trying to bake a cake. You don't want to just haphazardly throw ingredients in again, it, together and hope they work carelessly thrown just indiscriminately with just random amounts of ingredients, you're asking for disaster. The only thing that might want to eat that cake is your rubbish bin. (laughs) And in order for a dress or a cake to function as, as it's intended to, it has to be carefully measured. It's important. Well, fortunately, the Bible says God has wisely measured out his gifts within his body, the church. He knows what he wants to produce in the church. He knows exactly what gifts are needed for that that job to get done. And so this means that every believer plays a very important role in the progress of the church. All of you are important. And you're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt our church if you're not faithfully exercising the Spirit's giftedness in your life. It's just like one forgotten piece of a cloth can destroy a dress. One missing ingredient can can ruin a good cake. (laughs) That's the way it is with the Christian life and within the church. One ineffective Christian can keep a church from functioning according to God's biblical pattern. Another statement to consider is, is this, and implications, many gifts are different. Corinthians is clear on that. Uh, many gifts are different. So we shouldn't expect, you shouldn't expect every believer to be equally proficient or efficient or successful in, in every area of service. But that's our tendency. We want to grumble and complain that, uh, you know, Whatever your spiritual gift is, you you tend to complain about other people in the church who aren't as efficient and proficient as you are. Well, you can't expect them to. They probably don't have the spiritual gift you do. (laughs) Okay? Uh, There's only one man who has ever walked planet Earth who had all the spiritual gifts to the greatest degree. And his name is King Jesus. (laughs) Okay? Jesus had them all, manifested them all, And so the rest of us only received a measure. Ephesians says that. Corinthians says that. You've received a measure from the Holy Spirit. You didn't get them all. So many gifts are different. I'm just pointing this out because this tends to be a source of conflict and and division within a church. There, There can be a problem of disunity when you start comparing yourself to other people. That can be unwise. So, for example, if someone with the spiritual gift of evangelism looks at those who don't, and they might wonder, why why isn't everybody going around doing what I'm doing? 
how come everybody in the church hasn't led someone to Christ like I did? You know, they, they'll, they'll complain about that. And they'll point it out to people and say, get busy. What's your problem, man? They get on your case. That's the wrong, wrong way to approach it. The person with evangelism needs to help encourage. They need to do what they're supposed to do, yes. Then they need to help encourage, maybe help teach other people how to be an evangelist. That's just one. Uh, you could look at all the various spiritual gifts, and it tends to be the same. You know, Someone with the gift of mercy wonders why, how come I'm the only one in the church going and visiting people in the hospital? Well, is that a command in Scripture? No. The person with mercy loves doing that sort of thing, and, and they want to show mercy to other people. Great, do that. But don't call everybody else ungodly just because they're not doing everything exactly what you do in the way you do it. Not helpful. Gifts are different. Another statement to consider is not all Christians have the same giftedness. Now, please understand, there's no excuse for us to neglect our biblical responsibilities. Uh, I'm talking about the ones that God's given to all believers. You know, for example, you shouldn't say, well, hey, I'm just not gifted in that area. Because there are certain things where God has commanded us. For example, God commands us to pray. God commands us to give. God commands us to love people, confront people. God commands us to evangelize, and there's all kinds of other commands. All right? You may not have the spiritual gift in that area, but you're commanded to obey God. You can put it another way, or I can put it another way. Each, while each one of us is commanded to be a general practitioner, each of us is required to be a specialist in some area. All right? We have lots of GPs in the in the, uh, the, the health sector, but not all GP, GPs are not specialists. They can't be specialists in all areas. Right? There's specialists and they specialize in an area. Right? It's kind of like spiritual gifts. God gives you a gift, you're a specialist in that area. And so while you're faithfully serving God in church, you should spend most time and energy serving in the area where you have been gifted. And you need to be careful not to expect other believers to be as successful or faithful as you are in that particular ministry. So, that's what we tend to do, and it can create division. I hope you'll recognize that and adjust accordingly. Another statement or implication is this, that not all Christians with the same giftedness have the same amount of giftedness in that specific area. Uh, for example, uh, let's take somebody with the gift of mercy. Some are going to be more gifted than others. Uh, some, you say, well, man, that person is a really good people person. They, they just love on people all the time. It's just, it oozes out of them. How can that be? Well, they might have the gift of mercy, and, and they might have a huge measure of mercy the Holy Spirit has given to them. And by the way, this may be especially important to remember when you're evaluating 
leaders and teachers in the church. You know, it scares me when people try to compare me to other gifted men in the body of Christ who have a huge measure when it comes to teaching and preaching the Word of God. There are people within the body of Christ who have a greater measure when it comes to the spiritual gift of teaching. There's thousands of men with a greater measure when it comes to that. And so we've got to be careful. We contentment or, or a, sorry, comparison can kill our contentment. So what are spiritual or why are spiritual gifts given? That's my fourth question to consider. Why are spiritual gifts given? Well, in Ephesians 4 here, the Apostle Paul is going to go on to discuss the purpose of spiritual gifts in the church. And then he's going to give us the wonderful results that can occur when you and I are utilizing these gifts as we're supposed to. So let's just start reading in Ephesians 4 verse 11. Ephesians 4 verse 11. So he, God, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Why? Verse 12. Who equipped the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Just stop there for a moment. We'll read on later on. But I just want to point out the purpose of using our gifts. Notice number one here in this text. We see that leaders are to use their gifts to equip the saints. I hope you understand saints are, are Christians. If you're a Christian, you're a saint, according to this. So a leader's job is not to do all the work of ministry by themselves, but the leaders in the church are to equip the saints to do the work. It's interesting that word there in your Bible, equip, can be translated. It means to, uh, to mend to prepare, to restore. It has the idea of filling in what is lacking, and, that, and, and that's why it sometimes was used. Fishermen, you know, back in, uh, you know, like the, the Apostles' day, they, they would have to mend their nets. There might be a part of the net that was lacking, and so fish might be able to swim through holes, and so the fishermen would sew up these holes so the fish would get caught. They would mend their nets. It has the idea of filling in what's lacking, making something ready. That's the idea of preparing someone to do this work. It also had the idea of renewing something to usefulness. And sometimes soldiers of Christ get wounded in battle, and they feel like quitting. They don't want to serve. They want to sit on the sideline and do nothing. I understand that feeling. And so it is the leader's job, hopefully, according to Scripture here, to renew those soldiers of Christ to usefulness again. Let me give you an illustration. Let me put it this way, in more of a physical illustration, it might help. It's kind of like uh, leaders in the body of Christ might view themselves as a coach or maybe a, a physician or a physio on a rugby team. Uh, that's kind of how I view myself, trying to mend, prepare, restore players, that's you, uh, to, to go out there and to serve, or you know what they do in rugby, 
battling it out on the field of life, so to speak. And there's a lot of preparation, not that I know what rugby is all about, but I understand there's a lot of preparation that goes into playing a rugby game. I've played various sports throughout my life. I, a lot of practice went into that, talking strategy, running around, getting fit. There's a lot of mending that also needs to take place uh, even during a game. There's a lot of restoring that needs to take place after the rugby game, right? Some of you have played rugby. You get beat up during during the match, during that rugby match, don't you? And so there might need to be some restoring. And that's the same the way it is in the Christian life. You're going to get beat up. There needs to be some restoring. There needs to be some mending. There needs to be some preparation. And so the gifts that leaders have received need to be used to teach. How do, you, how do we do this? Leaders do this. They do it by teaching the Scriptures, modeling it, living it out, counseling others, confronting if necessary, and developing serving abilities of Christians within the church. So we see the purpose of using our gifts. Number one is that leaders are to use their gifts to equip the saints. Number two, members are to use their gifts to do the work of service. Did you see that there? Verse 12, Ephesians 4.12, leaders equipping the saints to for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now there's a difference between the leader's role and the member's role here. Uh, if this role difference is ignored, it's going to be to the detriment of the church. Unfortunately, many member, uh, or members assume they're paying their pastor or the elders or whatever it might be to do all these ministries of the church. Hey, I'm paying that that guy to evangelize. I'm paying him to counsel and to go visit people and to go to the hospital and whatever it might be, to do the planning and to do the administration. But we see God has designed the church to do work. The church is to do the work of the ministry. Most of the ministry of the church need to be carried out by you. No elder can do it all. No elder should even attempt to do it all. And so this approach to ministry comes from the biblical doctrine, what's called the priesthood of the believer. One of the beautiful Baptist distinctives is the priesthood of the believer. You can see it well in 1 Peter 2, verse 5 here, which says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. And so as a member of the body of Christ, if you're a Christian, you put your faith in Christ alone, you're a member of the body of Christ, you are a priest before God. You're to be, therefore, a minister for God. So as a leader in the church, I'm here primarily to help you be effective in your service for God. But there's another point that needs to be made here. And so God wants every Christian to do the work of ministry every day of the week. Every day of the week. It's interesting in Hebrews 3, verse 13, look what this what it says. It says, exhort one another every day. <laughs> every day. Uh, it's just one passage we could look at. But this is, you, you ought to be thinking it, it's not a thing I just do on a Sunday or, is, or a one time a year kind of a thing. No. It's a whole lifestyle. 
a lifestyle. I mean, you should always be asking yourself two questions, at least two questions, as you think about the purpose of spiritual gifts. All right, I put them up here for you. All right, so be thinking this, my friends. Number one, how can I be served and challenged by other members of the church? Right? Don't just, don't just think of the leaders of the church as your source of spiritual nourishment. You ought to be thinking, look around the body. And say, whatever you're, you're lacking in, you need help in, look around the body and say, hmm. For example, say you don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism, and you say, I'd like to, uh, I want to be better at that. Go find the evangelist and ask them to help you. Learn from them. Or if you're not a people person, you say, man, I need help with mercy. Go, go find the person with mercy and say, what, do, what am I lacking? <laughs> what does the scripture say on being merciful? How, how can I be better at that? Another question to ask is, number two here, who in the church and outside of it can benefit from my abilities and resources? So God's gifted you. How are you going to use those gifts that he's given to you? Think about that. Be, be deliberate in those gifts. So let's, we, we've, uh, we've talked about that, so let's move on now. Let's think about the results of using our gifts. What happens when you use your God-given gifts? Well, Ephesians 4 gives us three positive results here. Three positive results. Let's start reading in verse 13. Ephesians 4, 13. So he's just, he just said the leaders are to equip the saints to do the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. Verse 13 says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. Into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. At least three Results. I just want to point out some positive ones here. Three positive results. Number one, that our church will become unified and loving. That's in verse 13. See, if you're using these spiritual gifts that God's given to you in the way that He's designed, our church is going to become unified and loving. And Paul, says, Paul says that there in verse 13. And many, sadly, many churches experience disunity. Uh, some churches have even split, sadly, because spiritual gifts aren't practiced in their midst in a, in a God-glorifying biblical manner. And those of you, by the way, if, if you don't even know what your spiritual gift is, you're not using your spiritual gift, you're not involved in the church, uh, you're, you're, you're sitting in a dangerous place, an unhelpful place. It's usually the people... It's like sports. It's usually the people who aren't involved, who aren't playing on the field, sitting on the sideline, who are the most critical and the most unhelpful. 
You ever notice that? <laughs> and it tends to be that way in the church. It's the people who are over there, sitting over there, doing nothing, who are the armchair quarterbacks who criticize everybody else who's killing themselves out in the field, working as hard as they can. Very critical people just sit there and gaze at you. and Well, that person should have done that, or he didn't do that, or, or whatever it might be. Not helpful to just sit there and criticize others. It's going to lead to conflict, it'll lead to division and disunity. But when we're actually serving each other through the power of the Holy Spirit, you know what happens? There's a dependence upon one another, and you, you become grateful as you, as you look at each other. You know, that person, you'll say, whoa, the Holy Spirit's working in them. That's amazing. You see the Holy Spirit working in somebody, and you become grateful for them and, and how they're using their gifts. It's like, it's like looking at your teammates on the rugby field. And you say, whoa, that person's way better at that part of the game than I am. And you, whoa, that's cool. That's kind of, that's the way it is in, in the church. We look at each other and we become dependent upon each other. Like you become dependent upon your teammates in a sports game. You become grateful for your teammates in the Christian life as well. And you're going to draw closer together. It's like soldiers on the battlefield. They become very, very close to each other as they live in the foxholes and in the trenches as they're fighting side by side, depending on each other. It's the way it is in the Christian life as well. So, one of the results of using our gifts is we'll become unified and loving. Number two, According to verses 13 to 15 here, our church will become mature and wise. We'll become mature and wise. You know, you have three enemies. One of those enemies is Satan and this horde of demons that try to bombard churches with false doctrine, bombard the church with worldly philosophies, and unfortunately many churches seem to switch the brain off and become undiscerning. And so... Paul was concerned about that here. He didn't want the church, particularly the church of Ephesus, to be like children and, and get tossed about in the waves, be carried about by every wind of doctrine, it says, verse 14, to, to, to get attacked by this human cunning and craftiness and the deceitful schemes. Satan can even use people within the church like false teachers. So we've got to watch out and guard each other. We don't want to be like gullible children who just adopt any new idea that's put before them. Children can be very gullible, can't they? If a parent tells them to do something, they, they, will, they will often do it. Or don't do that. Or they kind of They're not really developed discernment yet. But when we understand and we practice our spiritual gifts, then there's this level of maturity that can be reached and it can create a formidable barrier to Satan and his schemes. The third result, when if we use our spiritual gifts according to God's plan, is our church will become effective and successful. Effective and successful. So when we're using our spiritual gifts, what happens here? Well, Christ. Notice what it says. He's the one who causes the growth of the church for what purpose? For the building up of itself in love. 
when the members of our church fulfill these unique roles for which God has gifted them, the church will grow. It's going to grow. Uh, hopefully it's going to grow in two ways. Hopefully the church will grow in quality and in quantity. Hopefully people will be evangelized, converted, and grow to maturity in Christ. That's, that's the growth. So I ask you, are you doing your part in building up the body of Christ? Are, or are you just squandering these spiritual gifts? Are you hindering even our church from growing because you don't know what your gift is? You don't know, therefore you're not using it, maybe. You don't, I, I hope that's not the case. But I love the way uh, Charles Spurgeon says it here. I'm quoting from him, quote, He says, I do believe it is before every Christian either to serve his God with all his heart or to fall into sin. I believe we must either go forward or we must fall. The rule is in Christian life, if we do not bring forth fruit unto the Lord our God, we shall lose even our leaves and stand like a winter's tree bare and withered. End quote. Well, you might, at this point of the message, might be asking, okay, well, and this is my fifth question. How can we discover our spiritual gifts? How can we discover our spiritual gifts? Well, it's important that you know your gift. Not so that you can glorify yourself, of course, but the focus is on serving God, serving others. So let me give you some brief suggestions. Notice I said these are suggestions of how you can discern your gifts. Well, number one, of course, go to what the Holy Spirit has inspired, His Word, the Bible. There's uh, several biblical passages you can read and study. You might want to discuss them with some other believers. Uh, you may even want to look at some, some helpful commentaries that will might bring to light some things that you might find helpful. If you want to know what are some good commentaries on these Bible passages here, like in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4. If you want some commentaries, I'd be more than willing to help you. But that's a good place to start. So pray for the Spirit to use His Word to, to guide you into truth. And of course, uh, well, that goes without saying, pray is number two. 1 John 5.14 says, This is the confidence we have in Him. What does it say? That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So what is God's will in regard to spiritual gifts? Well, we saw in 1 Corinthians 12.1. It's God's will for you to be informed of, about spiritual gifts. He doesn't want you to be ignorant regarding them. So it's very appropriate for you to Ask God for wisdom, determining what is your gift or gifts, and that He would reveal that to you. And then let me just, uh, number three, say it's also important to examine your motives in this, because you can do the right thing with a wrong motive. Uh, Jesus put it this way in John seven seventeen: If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Be careful. Is it of God, or is it of yourself? <laughs> so if your motive is, hey, I just, uh, 
I want other people to look at me and pat me on the back and speak well of me and say, you're awesome or whatever. Well, those are just selfish motives. Just selfish motives. God's not glorified in that. Be careful. Examine your motives. Number four, evaluate your abilities. Well, in the context of spiritual gifts, in Romans chapter 12, it it says we should exercise sound judgment regarding this grace that's been given to each one of us. A helpful way to do this is you could make a list uh, like this. I I hope you find this helpful. For example, consider, uh, well, what can I do? Uh, These are ways you know you're able to serve already. You might ask, well, Ways, look at uh, some ways that God has used you already in the church. Consider some areas in which you, you are improving, you're growing. You might think of some ministries you'd like to be involved in. There's just four different ways of evaluating your abilities. Another thing you could do is ask other Christians. The Bible repeatedly affirms the importance of receiving godly counsel from other people. Uh, For example, Proverbs talks a lot about this. You'll see just two references here in Proverbs 11, 14. It says, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 15, 22, without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Be careful whom you get counsel from. But by all means, go talk to other Christians who can help you out. So when it's possible, ask the opinion of mature Christians. Hopefully they'll give you an honest answer. And then number six, take opportunities to serve. I found this to be true in my life. I didn't know what my spiritual gifts were. But it's interesting, as you you serve in the church, serve in the body of Christ, you'll find, wow, I actually enjoyed that. And... Other people have said, I'm, uh, you know, I'm doing well in that way. And so for me, it was just serving in the body of Christ in my church, in my own local church, I found helpful. And by the way, you should only enter into some specialized area of service, uh, I'd suggest, after you've followed some of those other suggestions. And, and if you don't see any warning flags during those other steps of preparation, maybe your experience serving in a particular area is going to be revealed. Unfortunately, though, many churches are filled with people who approach the church life as as if it's a rugby game or whatever other game. They're they're just kind of content to sit along on the sideline, let the leaders and some of the members do all the work while they're just kind of sitting back. Might do a little bit of cheering. Whoa, that was good. Do a lot of criticizing, maybe. Just kind of, you know, twiddle their thumbs and let time pass by. But you know what? The Bible makes it clear that life in the church is not a spectator sport. It's not. Not a spectator sport. You know, I've been given spiritual gifts to use in service for other people. (laughs) And only by doing so are we going to work together as a winning team. Part of the problem of the church is we're not unified. That's why all these letters to churches talk about unity. 
So God the Father has designed us all to be key players in His game plan for the church. Are you part of the body or not? (laughs) You should be if you're Christians. God wants every Christian to be ministering in His body, the church, working in local churches. It's not enough to say, hey, I'm a part of the universal church. Well, if you're a Christian, you are, yes. But you need to find a local manifestation of the church and get involved using your gift or gifts. If you're not, there's a problem. Examine your heart. Why why am I not? (laughs) Why am I not exercising this Holy Spirit gift within His body? I pray the Holy Spirit would reveal why you're not. I hope you'll do it for the right motive. For God's glory, as you love the people within His body. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for these spiritual gifts that You give to all believers. We're thankful for this beautiful illustration of the body that we see in Scripture. We're thankful that uh, we, we are not here alone. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit. Yes, You've given to us other believers. And so we minister, may we minister to each other in the body. May we find just how precious the body is and how helpful it is. May we find our part in it and use the gifts you've given to us. May we not just be selfish and proud, but may we look to minister to other people, show love to other people, obey the one another commands of Scripture to other Christians. Give us a desire to minister within the church. And may we do it for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.